With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Arn with the founder of the Four Horsemen, the Hall of Famer himself, Double A, Arn Anderson. Arn, how are you, man? Well, I'm sitting here looking around at what appears to be a credible movie theater. <laughs> yeah, we're doing something a little different today. This is the first time after all these podcasts that you and I have recorded one in person. We're in Huntsville, Alabama. We're sitting down, going to watch a little wrestling together. We've never done this before, but I'm looking forward to it. Yep. And by the way, I just want to know which architect cut the big hole in the mountain and stuck this mansion in the side of it. <laughs> do you have his name by chance? I do not. Uh, I did not build the house, but I did inherit a good deal. And and I'm proud that uh, we're able to host uh, an all-time great like yourself today. This is a big deal for you to be here at the Conradison. It's a big deal for me, pal. I don't usually get invited in homes like this. so. Oh, whatever that means. But, hey, I even had regular, real, leaded Coca-Cola for you. How about that? Absolutely. It's looking out for you. You know, there's a reason that I'm a little bit paunchy, and it's I don't like diet drinks. It's either water unsweetened tea and every now and then every now and then i'll sneak in a real coca-cola but it's they're not allowed at our house and i'm doing better well you've done a good job accepting that one because i'll be honest i don't even know i had it i offered you at first a water or a coke zero and you said what else you got and i had to check the fridge down here and to my surprise there was both leaded sprite and leaded coca-cola it must have been like a super bowl hangover and i only had half so i'm doing good yeah you're doing good well, listen, I'm excited to do this. We have not ever actually done a true watch along, and I guess we're not exactly going to do the full watch along today, but I thought rather than just talk about Super Brawl 2, why don't we actually sit down and watch some Super Brawl 2? And it's funny how we as fans remember things differently from you know those of you who were there. When I first mentioned this show to you, you said, hey, Luger went to the WWF right after, right? So that's that, what you remember for this. That's my remembrance, yep. Talk to us a little bit about... You know where the company was you know super brawl 2 february 1992 flair is gone uh things are a little different than they were just a few years prior you've been back now at this point for you know all of 1990 all of 1991 are you settled in or is there so much topsy-turvy at the top of the company that you never really feel settled that's sort of the sentiment i got from tony shivani over the years well, yeah, I mean, the, the leadership at the very, very top, that those suits that really governed and made all the big decisions but were not necessarily 
tuned in to the talent and who they were and what they brought to the table. And that was always my entire tenure there. You know, that was always a, an iffy situation because you just, you had a name that was the boss, but you didn't have a face or a relationship to go along with it. So as far as the crew that they had, the crew of talent, that was pretty stable and you knew what you had and you would have guys continue to come in that would, uh, you know, be coming north to south from uh, the WWF. And, uh, you know, but uh, as far as who the boss was, that just changed almost year to year. Well, of course, we know this show goes down February 29th. And what a beautiful arena it is right there in Milwaukee, the Mecca Arena. It just jumps off the screen. It, it really stands out as a very unique arena. What do you remember about wrestling for the Milwaukee crowd and specifically uh, here at the Mecca? Well, you know, they got probably more beer in that town than any other city on earth. Sure. So, you know, everybody was always happy. There's nothing like mixing cold beer with wrestling fans. It seems to blend really well. And you always had a raucous crowd, if that's the right terminology. Uh, Everybody was there to have a good time and everybody did. Everybody did indeed. The uh, reader poll and the Wrestling Observer uh, gave the show 90.3% thumbs up, uh, 2.4% thumbs down, 7.3% thumbs in the middle. It's almost unanimous. The best match is Jushin Liger and Brian Pillman. Uh, the worst match, here's a surprise. It involved, <laughs> uh, it involved Van Hammer. I feel like we're picking on him right now. Maybe we should lay off a little while. But either way, uh, a really spectacular show. Uh, I'm looking forward to us watching some of it. So without further ado, I'm going to encourage everybody at home to fire up your WWE network, find Super Brawl 2, and uh, we're going to watch this first match together because when I first mentioned this card to you, after you made the comment about Lex Luger, you remembered that uh, Jushin Liger and Brian Pillman really fucking tore it up here. And, buddy, they opened the show, which is exactly the right place to put a match like that. So without further ado, uh, go ahead and fire up your WWE Network. February 29th, 1992. It was a, a leap day for Super Brawl 2 at the Mecca Arena here in Milwaukee. And uh, we'll go ahead and get this thing going. Three, two, one, play. And we see the open here. And uh, Jushin Liger, man, he just stands out in WCW programming, I guess just because I remember him so much more from his Japanese stuff and to know that he's one of the rare guys who, who got to wrestle for the WWF and WCW and, of course, every major Japanese promotion over the years. Bonafide Hall of Famer, no, no doubt about it. You know, he's just one of those guys that appeals to Japanese audiences and audiences around the world. He just, you have to appreciate his talent, period. How much of his success do you think is just the unique mask and unique look? I think it, it the look grabs you to begin with, but very, very soon after, I know being a trained eye, if I could call myself a trained eye, I'm looking at a guy that could perform at that level. I would look at that headdress and that suit as being hot, cumbersome, and being a little difficult to work in. Right. So, which makes him even better. Yeah, if he can look that good, constrained like that. You know, I had a very limited time with a mask on when I was in uh, Continental. And 
you know, the fact that I didn't have great vision was, was bad. It worked against having a mask on. I'm a little claustrophobic, same thing. You know, and I didn't have the suit that accompanied it. That, that was a full down-to-the-wrist, down-to-the-ankles bodysuit that he was wearing. And the guy, I don't think, ever drew a long breath. It's uh, it's really remarkable. And we see here as we're opening the show, on the left, we've got Tony Schiavone. On the right, a very young Eric Bischoff. This is when he is still very much early in his WCW career. He would even classify himself here as a C-level announcer. Uh, little did we know he's going to go on to be one of the biggest names in wrestling history. Yeah. And him and Tony actually clean up pretty well at this point. Don't they? How fucking hysterical is it that even here, Tony Schiavone has to have his chair higher. I mean, look <laughs> at the arm placement. It's funny. Cause you know, Eric Bischoff's much taller than Tony Schiavone. Tony Schiavone's little legs are dangling. Wee, wee, wee underneath that chair. He does have the Napoleon thing. Doesn't he? Oh, big time. It's been something fans noticed during Nitro that he would always be taller than Dusty Rhodes. It's like, you're not taller than Dusty Rhodes. You're not taller than Larry Zabisco. What are you doing? And in those days, we didn't even notice it. It's so great to go back and look at this stuff now because it just looks completely different with a fresh set of eyes. Well, and Missy Hyatt looks completely different. We saw her last week on the uh, Continental Celebration for AEW. Uh, I got to tell you, I appreciate that Tony Khan has uh, a love of the old school territories where we saw Memphis celebrated a few weeks ago. Uh, and then here last week in Huntsville continental, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. You know, I've always, you know, had the respect for the people that came before me and, and provided, you know, me with a job. And, you know, I think that Tony Khan shares those same sentiments and, you know, it's awesome to see a guy in his position, have a real love for the wrestlers and for the wrestling business. Absolutely. And we're getting ready to, uh, to start the show here. Of course, we've got a barn burner of a show lined up here, including a rather unique pairing yourself and Bobby Eaton. Uh, I watched this ahead of me and you watching it today. Uh, I know that your favorites are probably, you know, Tully or Ole, but my goodness, how great would a tag team have been long-term you and Bobby Eaton? I love being partners with Bobby Eaton. I learned so much. You know, like I'd already appreciated his value. I already knew he was in a, one of those top five classifications from a performance standpoint. But when you get to be in there and be a part of it and bleed off of what he starts or have him come after what, what you've already got rolling, to see the, our ability to blend together was really, really cool. And what a special announcement this is. Uh, Jesse, the body Ventura come into the ring on a motorcycle clearly one of the biggest personalities in wrestling he's fresh off of an incredible run unlike no other uh, arguably in the history of wrestling with the wwf he became a bona fide celebrity there uh, even appeared in uh, a handful of movies of course most famously predator with uh, arnold schwarzenegger and this is before he's going to go into politics but after he got the big gavel swinging his way and his judgment uh, where he received, I believe, to the tune of $800,000 or some odd number like that for uh, royalties for Vince McMahon using his voice and likeness on all of the video VHSs and, and things like that. So it's a monumental deal for you guys to have him on your side of the presentation. And if anything, it feels like the problem is you've got too many great announcers. You've got Tony Schiavone. You've got Jim Ross. You've got Gordon Soley. Uh, now you've got... Jesse, the body Ventura. It's a lot of talent. 
never thought about it like that, but you're absolutely right. And they were all unique, you know, to themselves. None was, neither one of those guys were anything like the other one. So I just didn't think about that lineup till you just said it. What What is the advantage or the disadvantage, in your opinion, of having one of the former quote-unquote boys be the announcer? You know, we've always heard as fans, the job of the announcer is to get the talent over, not themselves. And I think some of the criticism would be that occasionally when you get a guy who had a big personality as an in-ring performer, he's more interested in putting himself over than the product. Did you disagree with that assessment or would you fall in line with it as someone who has seen both sides, both in ring and quote unquote office? When you got a personality like the one we're looking at it right now, and you've got a guy that has gotten over to the degree as a talent and as an announcer that Jesse Ventura did, I don't know how you could, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know you could deny him an occasional putting himself over. Right. Because he does such a great job of making you listen to what his point of view is. What do you think of uh, the Super Brawl naming concept? You know, the first Super Brawl, they introduced it sort of like baseball has the World Series. Football has the Super Bowl. We have Super Brawl. Uh, I feel like that's a dustyism. I could be wrong, but it feels like it would have been a dusty idea because we know through the years that dusty was very much a fan, by the way, look at the inside of the Mecca. What a cool looking arena. Is it not? Yeah. Even the people, if you look at the up upstairs, they're almost right on top of the ring. What a great place to watch wrestling. It feels like there's no bad seats there. No, no. It's like the, it's like the old building in Columbia, South Carolina, one of the greatest arenas on earth. It didn't hold that many, but every seat felt like they were 10 feet away from the ring. It was really cool. That's what that looks like to me right there. So this being a February pay-per-view, of course, historically, um, the Super Bowl happening late January, early February, this is certainly uh, a wink and a nod to the Super Bowl. Uh, and, and as a result, Super Brawl became sort of a heritage pay-per-view for you guys that you kept around for a long time. And there he is. Man of the hour, Jushin Thunder Liger, going to be taking on flying Brian Pillman. We spent a lot of time talking about, or a few minutes talking about Jushin Liger a moment ago, but not nearly enough about Brian Pillman. I feel like Pillman was ahead of his time in that he knew very early on, and maybe it was out of necessity, how to adapt. And so his character really evolved where here we're seeing the young, mulleted, bingle tights, high flying, flying Brian. Later, of course, thanks to some debilitating ankle injuries, we would have to get a few more layers and it became more about character work, less about in ring. He kind of reminds me a little bit in that regard of a Chris Jericho where he's evolved as time went on. This loose cannon persona and flying Brian could not be any further apart, similar to the white meat baby face Chris Jericho that came in the WCW and now the leader of the inner circle. 100%. You got to remember the origins as Brian Pillman as a athlete. He was on the suicide team. That's what he did for the Cincinnati Bengals. He was on the kickoff team. His job was to run down there and kill somebody or get killed in the process. That takes, that takes a lot of guts and, and, and he embraced it and, at probably two and a quarter, I don't know what he weighed at the time, but, you know, he wasn't the biggest guy in the world. But 
anybody would tell you that Brian Pillman, and I talked to a couple of the other football players that he brought down to the arena, you know, when we were in town, they said, man, that cat was all over the place. And they meant that as a compliment. Yeah, he had a crazy motor. That was certainly his reputation. Uh, I think he even played in college uh, nose guard, which is just unbelievable. You know, and usually that's a, a guy who's 300 pounds or so. And here you've got a guy who's nearly a hundred pounds shy of that, but I guess his, uh, tenaciousness and his speed, uh, he was just unworldly. And of course, for whatever reason, football didn't work out. He found wrestling and here we are. Yep. And he just picked up that reckless abandon that, that he played football with. He just brought it, you know, to professional wrestling. But as far as being talented, I mean, you can look at the athleticism from the guy. And by the way, how ahead of its time is this match from 1992 we're watching here? I mean, this thing, 28 years old, and this could be on TV on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, any day of the week right now. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, everything they're doing is, you might as well say, current. Speaking of current, uh, Brian Pillman Jr. has made some waves in more recent years, sort of carving out his own niche within professional wrestling. Have you had a chance to see Brian Jr. yet? Not yet, but I met him at an AEW event in uh, Chicago. Uh, backstage, came up and introduced himself. I told him how much I respected and liked his dad. And, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of second-generation wrestlers. Uh, I think they have something special. They almost get an edge just by osmosis. It just kind of seeps in their pores a little bit. I don't know why that is, but... They have a little bit of advantage, but but the downside is is they got to be twice as good as everybody else either. Also, because people think they're getting somewhat of a free ride. I don't think this kid is getting a free ride anywhere. He's earning his way along. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if he was getting a free ride, he would have already been, you know, signed and thrown into an angle. And and thankfully, you know, he's going about it a different way. And I think he'll be better for it. Man, what high flying action we've got here with these two guys. You know, you've wrestled a lot of Japanese performers over the years. How difficult is it? You know, I realize this may be a silly question, but how difficult is it to sort of structure a match like this when there is a, a real language barrier? I guess it would be very difficult. Now, you know, my experience going over in wrestling, I'm just a wrestler. I'm a mat wrestler. Not so many high spots, you know. So when I would go over there and, you know, I would just wrestle and they would just wrestle me back, and uh, we'd brawl a little bit, and we'd do some more wrestling. I didn't have to worry about, you know, all the high-flying stuff, so I can't attest to the language barrier, but I know for a fact Brian didn't speak any Japanese. So uh, I would assume that he just kind of, you know, got an interpreter and, and put a couple things together. And he said, we'll just fill in the rest of it as we go. And that's what they did. And I know Liger was seasoned enough. He was fine with that. I mean, when you really think about it, you know, the amount of physicality that's involved, I don't think there's anything else like it where they don't speak and yet they're working together. Here, here's something that most people don't believe and they don't understand, but it's very it's it's a hundred percent truth. When you're coming up and learning the business, and you watch all of the different people that you may be wrestling, 
And then this is the way I handled it, and a lot of the pros handled it, especially career heels, you know, and coming from a time when the heel was in charge of the match and in charge of everything that went on inside those ropes. You would study a guy's moves and all of his all of his stuff and all of his counters. So when you went to the ring, you had pretty much his offense down, you had his defense down, you had all the counters that he brought to the table, and you would just go in and grab something, and he had a counter for it. You would set the pace, and, and it was your job to know what everybody in the industry did or what they couldn't do. Sometimes it was more important to stay away from, from what a guy couldn't do. If he couldn't drop kick, guess what? You didn't have him drop kick. Uh, and this kind of stuff, you know, it's really pretty and uh, it's really smooth, and you almost get lulled to sleep because it is so smooth. Well, you got to go out of your way to watch this. This is a match that people are still talking about. I know this past year people were still trying to put together Brian Pillman Jr. and Juicin Liger for a match, and uh, it was really just such a special moment uh, in wrestling history because it does feel like this match went on to inspire a whole generation of wrestlers. You know, this is years before on the big stage, we saw, you know, Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero and Dean Malenko. And and a lot of that style would not only become commonplace on nitro, but in the heavyweight title picture for WWE, but we're still a ways away from that. This is still very much the land of the giants. And these guys are showing everybody a different way. All right, Aaron, let's take a time out to talk about mine and your favorite thing to do. Of course, I'm talking about eating. And I got a little pro tip for you, Arn. I have found the promised land. I'm talking about fairway meat. Uh, this is something that wasn't on my radar because it's based out of Iowa. They've only been in like five states, but they've been around a long time, since like 1938. In fact, I think they're like one of the top ten employers there. But now they've decided to expand across the U.S., so now you can get incredible meat shipped to your door. And you've probably heard of this concept before, and I've tried it before, and you probably know who I'm talking about, but comparing that company to this company is a little bit like comparing horse manure to ice cream. This is another level of meat. Uh, in fact, my dad said, son, where'd you get this? This is the best ribeye I've ever had. And he assumed it was just a local grocer, but I can't get meat like this. And here's why. This meat is made in America's heartland. This is talking about middle America, corn-fed beef right here, son. Good shit. I can't recommend it enough. I threw it on the big green egg, had the family over. It was a hit. It's going to be a hit for you. Now, here's what's great about this. There's no middleman. It comes straight to you from these badass butchers right there in America's heartland in Iowa. Every cut is done by their incredibly experienced team of butchers. You're going to get the same consistency, the same quality every time. And, man, it's corn country. We don't have that here in Alabama. We should also mention that they've got everything you're looking for, from ribs to ribeyes, from pork chops to beef tenderloin. They have every style, every cut that you can handle in your kitchen. Don't take my word for it. Visit fairwaymeatmarket.com, select your favorite meat products, and man, just stand by your grill, waiting patiently. You can also check out all kinds of recipes there just to make sure that you're hitting the right mark. But here's the deal. Here's my favorite part. It's a great deal. Don't take my word for it. Go look for the Heartland package right now at fairwaymeatmarket.com. Now, this Heartland package, it's got more than a $230 value. It's just $99 plus free shipping. And let me tell you, shipping meat is not cheap. 
You know what goes into that. It is a costly affair. So they are cutting it to the bone for you just to try and check out. But you've got to use our promo code ARN, A-R-N, at checkout. Now, here's what you get in this Heartland package. Check this out. You get eight eight-ounce all-natural boneless pork chops. My daughter doesn't even like pork. She likes bacon, but I don't know how she makes an exception for that. But I convinced her to try the pork chop, and it's way better than any pork chop I've ever fed her. She's on board. I told you my ribeye story. My dad absolutely loved the ribeye. Well, you're going to get six eight-ounce USDA choice ribeyes. And you get one mouth-watering side dish that you pick. You can get the brisket baked beans, which I've got to try, the loaded potato bake, which Casio had an aneurysm over, or the gourmet cheesy corn which seems like something that is right up my alley. Here's the deal. It's more than 50% off some of the best meat I've ever had, and I think you could argue it's the best meat in America. And oh yeah, free shipping. Go to fairwaymeatmarket.com right now. I don't know how long they're going to let this last because they can't be making money on this. It's fairwaymeatmarket.com right now, and use our promo code ARN, A-R-N, but be sure to look for the Heartland Package. You can't get this shit anywhere else. And it's the best you can get delivered. Fairwaymeatmarket.com. Check it out. When you see this old school set like this, the old presentation with the the, the blue and the black and the yellow, uh, what's the first thing that comes to mind? It's memories. Memories. Distinctly WCW as the color scheme, is it not? Yep. Yes, it is. You know, and the size of the ring. It. Uh, I mean, just... Just pretty much everything, you know, from the, the from the dress of the referees, you know, they're what they're wearing. It just uh, everything that reminds you of the old days. Let me and let me say this: the good old days. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, how you guys did travel in this era. You know, we know you told us a little bit about how sort of unforgiving the WWF road schedule was when you were there as a performer. And then as an agent, how taxing it could be with the long drives overnight. What was it like in this era of WCW? Cause it does feel like you know, you're running shows, but maybe not as many as you used to. I would say that, that the WCW schedule. Now look at this. That's Japanese style slapping each other in the face. Figure four slapping each other in the face. And you know, that's going to piss both of them off. Absolutely. And that's a good thing. You know why? Because you're still working, but the intensity of the match goes up and you feel like all of a sudden, Hey, I'm in a damn fight here. Right. You know, a guy slapping you in the face was great for a match. It stung like hell and it pissed you off. And that made your work rate go through the roof. You're still working. You're not trying to cripple anybody out there, but still intensity went way, way up. Now, I would say travel-wise in these days when this is going down, still on a very limited schedule, maybe a few select big cities, but mostly it was probably two days of television a week, and that was about it. We should mention that this pay-per-view, Meltzer Wood Report, uh, was coming out to be a .8 buy rate. Others were saying .6 to .7. Either way, pretty good gross on pay-per-view here, 24 to 3.2 million bucks in these days were you getting some sort of pay-per-view bonus check zero okay here's something very important to to understand with the exception of sting i think who got his salary 
per year plus I want to say it was about 300 grand per quarter for merchandise for a total of a billion dollars a year he was the flagship he was the guy that that the company was based around with the exception of him I don't think guys got marketing money I don't think guys got pay-per-view money but what your salary was, whatever that was, you could count on it every two weeks, rain or shine. If you didn't work for a month, you still had two checks show up at your house. So, Let's talk about that for a minute. I'm glad we're getting down the rabbit hole on this because we've never really talked about it before. But a lot of people have been critical of Vince McMahon, not in those days, guaranteeing contracts. And he would just essentially say something like, Hey, here's, you know, a $1,500 contract guaranteeing 10 dates, 150 bucks a shot, and you'll make more with me. And people, man, what a Flip off the top. Um, and then guys went up there and, and a lot of them made way more money and some would tell a different story. But I wonder, based on what you said, because a lot of the criticism of WCW in their dying days was that guys weren't motivated and guys were, were sort of complacent and half-assing it. Do you feel like the incentive-based pay of Vince McMahon inspires a better product, happier roster, more well-paid and motivated roster, or at the end of the day, is the guarantee the way to go? I always felt that the guarantee was the way to go, but I was also the frame of mind that no matter what, I was going to give you 100%. Right. Some guys would look at that and go... Okay, I'm getting paid anyway. Uh, you know, maybe tonight I'm going to just go out there and coast a little bit. I can tell you this, to be up for with the WWF and be traveling your ass off and working your ass off and be away from home for 25 days and get screwed on the payoffs too, I bet when you're thinking about that and you're getting rotten payoffs and there's no reason for it, uh, other than the money was probably getting funneled some some other direction for some other reason, God knows what that would be. I, I would think you would look at those guys down south and go, "Hey, you know they got guaranteed money, and, and when you got a three year contract at guaranteed money, you can plan your life. Your wife can plan the next three years of her life, rain or shine. That check was going to show up, and you know for the families that are home having to juggle everything." I know it was a lot of security. I know it was at my house. Man, these guys are still tearing it up. Behind the scenes, we should mention, there was one major difference about this pay-per-view compared to other WCW pay-per-views at the time. This one is the first one priced at $24.95. Previously, they've been $19.95. Oh, it catches him with a dropkick off the top rope. Perfect and look timing. at the crowd, man. Perfect timing. Everybody's on their feet now. You got to appreciate this. I mean, they've been going pretty much while we've been yakking. They've been going at it, and it's been 50-50, back and forth. Yeah, Nobody's should... really got a distinct advantage yet. They get plenty of time here, 16 minutes and 58 seconds. It's for the uh, WCW light heavyweight title. Meltzer loved it, gave it four and three-quarter stars. You know, I, I'm never critical of Meltzer's ratings, but I, I, if this ain't five stars, I don't know what is. This is a great match here. Maybe there's just no such thing as five stars. See, just stuff like that to me, as ugly as that was. It adds an air of realism. It's real. Absolutely. They just they just went for whatever the hell it was and they just basically <laughs> banged butts. 
Yes. Violently. Yes. And it looked I'm trying like for the shit. same move. It looked like shit and hurt like hell. But I you know, we've seen that in, in mixed martial arts where two guys go for a kick at the same time and two guys go for a punch at the same time. And it, if it's choreographed, everything looks slick and perfect. But when it's not, oh man, nice power slam there. Yeah, they're having a hell of a match. They are indeed. By the way, we should mention um, this show is one month. Uh, prior to WrestleMania and we've marked the show up five bucks. Maybe some of that is because, you know, we're trying to actually turn a profit for the first time in WCW. Maybe we're trying to offset some of the costs of the new talent we've brought in, including Jesse Ventura. But with this being, you know, Sting and Lex Luger, two of the perennial crowd favorites in your main event, uh, and what a card underneath, you know, you teaming with Bobby and the Steiners and, and this match, a lot of people thought it was going to be the match or the show of the year. Uh, this is a match of the year candidate that we're watching here, but overall Meltzer was a little disappointed with the show, but fans, as we heard more than 90% gave it a thumbs up. This is really a remarkable pay-per-view, especially for its time. And here you see coming off the top rope with the big cross body. I mean, that was a finish anywhere in the world in that day. Was it not? Yep. Yeah, yeah, you probably had a half a dozen finishes that could have been, you know, but but the beauty of it is they're not throwing them away. Both guys are selling each other. They're taking their time. They're pacing this thing. They're not just doing big moves and then just throwing them away and coming back 100%, you know, from it. They're, they're both damaged right now that's what keeps your eye on the match you know these guys are got to be running out of gas and that's what makes it exciting i heard sammy's what in the world i don't know what that was i've never seen that ever that was a perennial monkey humping a football that's what that was i like it uh i heard sammy zane once describe pinfall attempts as your punctuation in a match so if you've got you know, a big move. Well, you need a, you, sometimes you need a comma. Sometimes you need a period. Sometimes you need a question mark. Sometimes you need an exclamation point, but the pinfall attempts are the punctuation in the story of the match. You're trying to tell. I love that analogy. If you're not trying to win, what are you doing? Right. And the, the only place that guys make a mistake, and I, I don't disagree with that psychology whatsoever. The only place they make a mistake are, Covering on things that do not resemble a finish. Right. Because it's a waste of time. It drags down the momentum. And it makes the other pinfalls look meaningless. Yes. Yeah. It diminishes the value if you're doing it every time. Covers Which, covers can get uh, monotonous if there are too many of them. Sure. Because you know what? Well, that's not going to finish. That's not going to work. If, if this didn't, then that didn't. You start doing some wrestling math. Um, the other thing I, I heard recently... Uh, well, I guess not that recently, but I heard JR say something that Bruce has said for a long time about matches and specifically in regard to selling is if you're a stand-up comedian, you know, you're going to tell a joke and you're going to give the crowd a chance to laugh before you start telling your next joke. You wouldn't just tell joke, 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 joke. You've got to pause, let the crowd appreciate what you just did. Let them get their laugh out of their system. And then they're ready for another one. And I thought that analogy of sort of taking your time when you're trying to sell made a lot of sense. What a pinning combination that is. Aren't you in many matches like that? Brother, if he'd have folded me up like that, I'd have thrown up. Look, standing ovation here. And, of course, our American has won, I guess, in these days that was a big deal. 
everybody chanting USA. Uh, Brian Pillman, your light heavyweight champion. It feels like right here, this could have been, you know, they knew they ripped it up the dawning of a new era in WCW. And we know you guys don't exactly go and, and make the light heavyweight belt a, a priority coming out of this. In hindsight, was that a missed opportunity? And, and why don't you think it happened? Too many cooks in the kitchen or the booking committee or whatever? Who knows? But I tell you what just happened, and I'm going to just go ahead and explain to you what I just saw. You know what you ha- you were missing in this match? What's that? There wasn't a heel in this match. Oh, yeah. And I'm not saying that's bad. I'm saying it's good because what you just saw was a babyface match that literally was a 50-50 match. There was no heat. There was no comeback. It was not structured anything like a normal wrestling match. It was a 50-50, you slug me, I'll slug you. You come off the top on me, I'll come off the top on you. And they kept that audience plugged in without a bad guy. And in those days, that's quite a feat. It really is a, a special match. Both of these guys came out of this as stars for sure. We've got 4,000 paying fans here in the uh, arena. It's a full house of about 5,000 fans. So there is, um, some paper here. Uh, the atmosphere for the show, I think is, is a little higher. I don't know if it's the presentation being different, just the way this looks, this feels like a really big time pay-per-view for you guys. Well, I mean, just having tuxes on the announcers look good. I mean, it, it's a classy look. And uh, it, it is a big show, and you can just, you know, the, the build, I would have to go back and see what was done as far as the build goes. But I would think any city would have been happy to have this show at this point in the year. How about your man here, Terry Taylor? He's portraying himself as Terrence Taylor. This is uh, a poor man's million-dollar man. What do you make of this? Oh, I don't think so, and I don't think it was even directed to be a a, a knockoff of. Well, I'm just saying the outfit the there. <laughs> Although he did sneak in last the night before this show and steal Teddy's outfit. I don't. I, and I'm not sure what we have here. This, this is, is a, a kid from Syracuse. He's won a contest. Uh, Barry Abrams, and uh, he is a special guest ring announcer. So he's got the honor of introducing uh, this next match. Well, so, good for him. You don't think his ass was puckered up, do you? How about basketball shorts with a tuxedo with tails? It's a very Dusty Rhodes-inspired look. Smart ass. As it turned out, he's a smart ass. You can't wear shorts with a tux. How about this fucking goof? We're talking about Buff Bagwell. I called him a goof. Send your tweets to. Damn, uh, that's a, a little. That's Connor. a little strong. Nah, I got a whole story. I'll tell you off here. Okay. Uh, anyway, what's your favorite Buff Bagwell memory? Um. <laughs> my heavens! Well, you're 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 laughing, laughing over here, aren't you? Well, because I just I, I know I put you on the spot because there's no fucking way you got a good Buff Bagwell story. <laughs> there's no fucking way. <laughs> I'm just going to let you take this because you are on a roll right now. Look, tell me this is not. That's Ted DiBiase's outfit. <laughs> I stand corrected. I mean, I'm just saying it looks like he's in a million dollar man Halloween costume. I'm a son of a bitch. He calls himself the tailor made man and the shit ain't even tailored. Like this is the ultimate rib. This is more of a rib on him than the red rooster ever was. 
Wait a minute. It has to be. Clucking around the ring has got to be an all-time steakaroonie. Well, he goes to the same tailor Michael Hayes does because that suit don't fit worth a shit. And it looks like it's uh, straight from... You know, the, the Halloween costume aisle at Kmart. That's the Million Dollar Man costume. Do you remember Furlan Husky? I do not. You need to look him up. Country Western singer. I nicknamed Bagwell Furlan because that hairdo is exactly like Furlan Husky. That's, that's quite not, the, that's It's not a good thing. It's a bouffant yes, for damn is. sure. Come on, you got any good buff stories you can share with us? Nah. I wasn't around him very much. Well, you didn't miss much. Now, seven minutes and 36 seconds. Uh, Meltzer would say, Taylor was wearing a Ted DiBiase hand-me-down outfit. You had to pity these guys because there's no way to follow the previous match. Taylor carried Bagwell completely. Bagwell looked really gay, if that's the correct adjective. And that white outfit that was three to- three sizes too small, which is why the crowd booed him. Bagwell got lost going into the rolling reverse cradle, and the pin was heavily booed, and the place cheered when Taylor hit him with the five arm after the match. Star and a half. So, you know, I guess we didn't really give these guys a fair shake here, because following Pillman and Liger, nothing's going to compare here. you got to come back and do something totally different, or you're going to lose this crowd. Yeah, it's a tough spot to be in, and I doubt very seriously if there was any heat on this match whatsoever. I'd probably It's just probably a filler match. I doubt very seriously if there was an angle between these guys, if there was anything that was built leading up to this and following the match that they're having to follow. That's tough. Okay, Aaron, we need to give everybody a peek behind the curtain. Uh, you called me out a couple of weeks ago here on the show, and you accused me of having a car that had 200 miles an hour on the dash. And then when I picked you up from the airport this week, you made sure you pointed that out, you were right. But here's the deal. You assumed that my vehicle was new, but it's actually five years old. I just take great care of it. And I don't buy new cars because, you know, I want to get the best deal possible. And if you want to take care of your car and get the best deal possible, man, you're going to love rockauto.com. And we should mention, with the ever-increasing number of makes and models, it's impossible to stock all the parts you need in a traditional chain storefront. So why endure the often pointless and seemingly intimidating questioning, you know, stuff like, is your Odyssey an LX or an EX? And wait while the counterman orders the parts on his computer, choosing the only brand his warehouse happens to carry. You see, you have computers right now with access to rockauto.com at home. How about this? You probably got one in your hand right now or certainly in your pocket. One reason to repair and maintain your cars is to save money. And that's what I do. Rather than taking it to the dealership and way overpaying or going and paying a higher tier at one of those chain storefronts, here's a pro tip you may not realize. If you work at a shop, you get a discount. If you're just me or you, regular guy, you pay a different price. Why are you paying more? You shouldn't have to do that. I mean, and here's the thing. Don't take my word for it. 
Go compare prices right now at rockauto.com. You'll see that they always offer the lowest prices possible, and they're not going to charge you a higher price based on what the market demand is or based on how often you're in the store. And that is what the chain stores do. rockauto.com, also a family business, serving auto parts customers online for over 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for your auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. This is something I can speak to from experience. A few years ago, I got my dad a classic car. He wanted to start tinkering. He wanted to start turning some wrenches. Instead of going down to one of the big box stores, I sent him to rockauto.com. They have everything you need from engine control modules to brake parts to tail lamps. Man, they got motor oil, they even got carpet. And whether it's for your classic car or a daily driver, you get whatever you need in a couple of quick clicks and it's delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. And if I'm honest with you, I've just went on there, typed in my make and model just to see what all they had. It's impressive. They got stuff on there that I thought, man, this is kind of cool. I may pick that up just because. Quickly see all the parts that are available for your vehicle. Choose the brands, the specifications, and the prices you prefer. But I, I can't mention this enough. It's cheaper. I have found it to be reliably cheaper than everywhere else. Go to rockauto.com. See what's available for you right now. And if you find something you're going to like, when you get to the how did you hear about us part, please write ARN. That lets them know that we sent you there. It's great for the podcast, and it saves you some money. It's an amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. We're, uh, we're going to skip ahead now because uh, I think we've seen enough Buff Bagwell to save us for a while. So instead, uh, we're going to jump on over uh, to Cactus Jack and Ron Simmons on the WWE Network. So if you're watching with us, I'm at 39.18 right now, 39.20. And we're going to see uh, really a remarkable performer ahead of his time, Cactus Jack. And he's going to be taking on Ron Simmons. And man, this is, uh, talk about styles clashes. I mean, this guy is a once-in-a-lifetime performer, and he's about to take on a once-in-a-lifetime athlete. This should be fun. What he has is a death wish. Suicide intrigues Crazy Jack. I'm going to tell you that for sure. The first time I ever saw him wrestle live, don't know where it is in this sequence of events, but he wrestled Mil Mascaris in San Antonio. It was Corpus Christi. There you go. And I cover it this this Thursday, two days from now with um jim ross and he was cactus jack manson there and i know what you're about to say he took this fucking horrific flat back on the concrete that if we saw it today we would think they're dead and then he did it 30 years ago well it would have killed a normal guy unbelievable it would have killed me it would have killed you did you know that spot was coming before you saw god it? no no i mean it, at that point half the boys have to think we got to go help him well, and he'd already set the indoor record for hip tosses. I don't know why they did 111 hip tosses during that match. Go back and watch it if it's the one I'm thinking about. And that bump off of the apron on the concrete floor, when he came to the back and I saw that he he was alive and might not die, I went up and I said, Jack, you have got no sense. He looked right at me and went, he said, no, Arn, I got no money. Yeah, I got no dollars. Got no dollars. That's a great line. And it's absolutely happened. Yeah. And I went, there you have it. I get it. hundred percent. What a great line. I got, you got no sense. No, I got no dollars. By the way, 
Cornette gave him some, he knew Cornette was pushing hard for cactus to come in. They booked Mil Mascaris on a handful of, you know, Mexican border town shows that WCW was running. When cactus finds out he's working with him, he does not want to Mill had a bit of a reputation. We'll talk about that in a minute, but he was concerned about the match. And Jim said, listen, I'll be on commentary. I'll make sure that you're the star when the thing's over. So Jack did his spot and look at look this, at this hanging himself. What Pur- a spot this is. Purpose. Yeah. A signature spot his that's going to ultimately cost him his ear against Vader. I mean, there's never been somebody like Mick Foley in the history of professional wrestling. I don't think there ever will be again. God, I hope not. Either way. Because, uh, and I mean that in the best. Oh, absolutely. The guy absolutely gave the wrestling world everything he possibly could muster up. Everything he had, he gave you. And if it meant falling off a 10-story building, that's what he gave you. I know this sounds silly, but do you think Mick Foley loved wrestling more than any other wrestler you ever met? Because you've got to love it to do some of that shit. Um, I think he loved the business. I won't say wrestling because it, let's face it. His style is self deprecation, self-destruction and brawling. He's not what I would call a, a classic, classic Roman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think he loved the wrestling business as much as anybody out there for what he's willing to do for the business. It's pretty remarkable what we're seeing here too, because it's too, you know, soon to be world champions. And I don't think anybody knew this at that point. I mean, maybe some folks could see that now that Ron is, is no longer with Butch, he's pro he's prime for a, a key spot here. But I mean, Foley's going to go on to have a much bigger career in the scheme of things. I don't know that anybody would have picked that. How about Sylvester JYD Ritter in the audience in a tuxedo looking as only he can look. What a good dude, man. What a good dude JYD was. This match is going to go uh, six minutes and 33 seconds, two and a half stars. Um, Let me tell you something. The guys in the ring with, and I'm talking about Ron Simmons, is all man, brother. Make no mistake. What an athlete. Yeah, he really is a, uh, a once in a lifetime athlete. We talked about earlier. I mean, it's funny, you know, when you're a non-football fan, you don't recognize how important this is. But to finish, I mean, I think he was top 10 in Heisman voting as a defensive lineman. Wow. I think it was like fourth, wasn't he? I think it was like ninth or something. And, and when he said it on stage, I could be wrong. But I just remember being uh, in the back uh, for StarCast in Baltimore. And he's sitting with Scott Hudson. And Scott says something like, uh, you know, I'm, I read through some of your accolades, Ron, before we came out here. And I couldn't believe you were only ninth in the Heisman. I thought you finished a lot higher than that. And Ron was so incredulous at the phrasing. He's like. I was a goddamn defensive player. Shouldn't have even been on the list. What are you talking about? And there you see the uh, the that, elbow off the top rope to the floor. All that weight on the hip. You know, he, he his working weight, 303 pounds, right down on the hip, on the concrete. Not advisable. And that's just an amateur wrestling pad on top of concrete. Right. It didn't budge any, not an inch. Yeah, I think sometimes fans who have not been inside of a wrestling ring think the wrestling ring is a trampoline 
and the pads on the outside are like a foam ball pit down at Chuck E. Cheese. That is not the case. No, and it's cement underneath those inch and a half, you know, amateur or uh, whatever you want to call them. If it's, uh, it's what your kids take a nap on in preschool. Well said. I mean, it is. Yeah, it is. And and, and we got three hundred pound dudes falling on their joints on it. That's not great. No, no. And let me tell you, it's not that Jack was the toughest man in the world. Because I guarantee you, once he got back in the back, uh, he was hurting. took a shower. He was hurting. Yep. And he was hobbling, and he went, and he suffered in silence. It's not like he was uh, avoiding all that pain and immune to it somehow. He was not one of those guys. He was just willing to do what nobody else was willing to do. How do you, you know, when you're a young guy cutting your teeth, I mean, here Jack is probably, um, I don't know what his contract details are, but he's making 100, 100 and a half tops, uh, probably less. But you're paying for your own expenses out of that. So I know a lot of people hear that and think, oh, that's a great deal of money. And don't get me wrong, it is. But when you're also paying, and I know Jack was frugal McDougal and he earned that reputation. But still, what keeps you motivated to do? Look at this. Okay. Spine buster on the ramp. This is the same match, by the way, where we've seen him hang himself. And we've seen the elbow off the top to the floor. He's not out here doing it for the money. He's not, I don't think he's just doing it for the 4,000 fans watching in the arena. It's not like if a bunch of people do it on pay-per-view, he's going to get a lot more. He's on the third match on the card. There's just got to be something in you that really wants to do this. Am I wrong? He's the eight year old kid. Yep. That's climbing up on his roof and is going to jump off. On, a, on the picnic table with the mattress on top of it that doesn't care if he gets his ass in a, in a sling with his mom, his dad, the neighbors. He's that kid right now. And he's doing what he's wanted to do his entire life. And that's your finish. After all the spectacular shit that Jack did, he lost. Ron Simmons wins. But when the match is over, yes, Ron won. People are talking about Cactus Jack. And they see the post-match brawl. And everybody's looking, and there he is. Abby. You got any Abdul the Butcher stories? Yes, I do. Oh, that was a little snug. I'm sure Ron is doing the damn for real. Yeah, of all the people you could hit in the head too hard accidentally... I don't think Ron Simmons would make my list, but thankfully the cavalry is here. JYD coming down in his white tuxedo. I'm pretty sure that, um, if Ron would have came up off that mat, Abby would be in the back right now. I love the uh, working security. (laughs) Do it to Dillinger too. Headbutt Dillinger. Yeah. Let's see. That'd be um, great. <laughs> why he didn't shove Doug down, I don't know. You know, this guy's responsible for making me an Anderson. You know that. I do. JYD, I owe him. We talked about that in the archives. You got to go check that out. Our very first episode. Good Hear man. how uh, Marty Lundy became Aaron Anderson. And, buddy, he did it at a time when he was in Louisiana and was as hot as Hulk Hogan in Louisiana. 
my God, was he over. It was incredible. And, of course, a lot of the reason he's here, Bill Watts, uh, going to get the keys to the castle. He's a big fan of JYD, drew a lot of money with JYD. Of course, we know that later this very year, we're going to uh, put the belt on Ron Simmons, also a Bill Watts situation. Let's talk about Bill for a minute. Bill coming in, it's been musical chairs for a while here in WCW. It feels like a major upgrade to go from a, a Jim Hurd to a Bill Watts. Well, except the fact that he was coming into a corporate job working for a corporation. He was used to being the owner, boss, top guy, all those things with his own company. Right. Big, big difference than falling under corporate America. Um, and I think that's not what he anticipated. He anticipated having free reign when he came in, and he changed a bunch of rules and did a bunch of things that didn't sit very well with the entire talent. And I'm going to tell you this right now, and I've said this over the years at different times. You can you can work in the office, or you can be a wrestler, or whatever your job is with a company. You can actually get heat with the office and survive if you get heat with all the talent, doesn't matter how high up the totem pole your job description is, you're gone. And he got heat with all the talent because he cut everybody's money. His deal was, hey, all I want you to do is pay me a percentage off of what I save the company. He saw all those big contracts. I know that he cut mine and Bobby's Eaton's uh, Bobby Eaton's in half. Wow. Half. He took away catering, which may make you even giggle. But when you got to be at TV from 2 o'clock in the afternoon to 11 o'clock at night. How else are you going to eat? Got to feed the machine. Yeah. You expect these guys to be world-class athletes. They got to eat. And he took away all the catering, had lunch boxes. It, it was comical. You know, it was like it was like something you would get on a, a kindergarten field trip that you're going to for three hours. Well, we just saw uh, Vinny Vegas come to the ring. Uh, he's with, uh, of course, Ricky Morton, or I'm sorry, Sir Richard Morton. Uh, he's trying to clean his act up a little bit. Uh, Vinny Vegas, we know, had a stint as Oz and the Master Blaster. Ultimately, he's going to go on to be Diesel and one of the founding members of the NWO. And here, you know, they're taking on two WCW projects for sure. At different times, I'm sure you heard both of these guys were going to be the savior of the company, both Tom Zink and Van Hammer. You got any good uh, Van Hammer stories you can share with us? <laughs> I can tell you the very first time I saw him, we're standing in center stage, backstage. Picture that. Now, look at that getup he's got on right now. Yep. Okay. Burn that into your mind. In the backstage area was Steve Austin, Steve Regal, myself, and Bobby Eaton. And we're standing in a little circle. We're bullshitting about something. It's in the afternoon, you know, 5 o'clock in the afternoon or something. All of a sudden, we look down, and walking down the hall is this guy. It's the middle of summer. He's got that getup on. You got to figure that jacket's a little hot. Oh, absolutely. He's already oiled up. He comes down the hall. We're still in our little circle and looking at each other. And he steps in the middle, sticks his hand out, and goes, What's up, fellas? Van Hammer here. 
I'm uh, WCW's Ultimate Warrior. I'm here to save the company. Now, I looked at Austin, and Austin looked at Regal, and Regal, <laughs> Regal looked at Bobby, who mumbled something, and we just busted out laughing. We thought they'd set us up. Sure. I thought you're it was waiting on Ashton Kutcher to jump out, and you know, you're on punked or something. Now, to his, to, I'm going to give him this much benefit of the doubt. I'm sure whoever was booking and booked him in probably said, hey, man, you got a great look. We're going to make you a big star. Now, his interpretation of that is where he came up with that promo that he hit us with. But it's the most preposterous first meeting of anybody I've ever met in the business because he meant all of it. He told me that story the first time five or six years ago, so I didn't skip this match because I knew you'd hit us with it. And well, I, and I mean, he, you know, from a physical standpoint, I mean, look at the guy. But as we know, in this business, you can look like a trillion dollars and bring absolutely nothing to the table just because you look, you're a body guy, you look phenomenal. And it's unfortunate that the people who are tasked with making guys like that look good are guys like Ricky Morton, who have all more wrestling talent in their fucking pinky nail. And their pedigree, what they've done. Sure. In the past. That's got to, you know, that has to account for something. So the original plan um, was supposed to be Johnny B. Bad. Zink is in here subbing for Johnny B. Bad because uh, Mark Miro is in the middle of a contract dispute and was pulled from the card at the last minute. What an interesting group of talent this is when you well, really think about it. Well, I mean, you're missing, you know what you're missing? You're missing a big rugged heel that's seasoned and experienced that can set the tone for the two baby faces. You're trying to build a new character in Vinny Vegas, seven foot tall monster. You got Van Hammer in here with the body, the whole thing. Tom Zink, you know, was used up and down, looked like a million dollars. But, you know, Tom was one of those guys that, that I don't know, he, uh, he was stuck in the middle, and that's probably as far as he was ever going to go as for being a middle guy. And uh, Oh, my gosh. God, know, God knows what that was, but if I was sitting in the audience, the one thing I would have just thought is green. These guys are green. Kevin Nash trying to do a leapfrog, which I don't think I'd ever seen Kevin Nash do before. Van Hammer ran square into his dick. Both men went down. Uh, by the way, we should mention Ricky Morton, also a last-minute replacement. He's replacing Curtis Hughes. So this was supposed to be Curtis Hughes and Vinny Vegas taking on Mark Miro and Van Hammer. This is fucking weird, dude. What a weird time in WCW. Well, you know, thank God that the administration that was in place didn't book this and go, okay, that'll work. This is a hodgepodge of replacements, obviously. Well, but even that, like, 
What's your favorite Curtis Hughes match? Well, this is what we call an. Uh, it's not a good booking. No, Conrad. It's real simple. Some stuff is not a good booking. Right. It's not a good booking. Let's get to what is a good booking. Let's go ahead and skip ahead to your match. It'll be yourself and Bobby Eaton taking on the Steiner brothers. We're going to skip there now. I'm at one hour, 31 minutes, 25, 26, 27. And we're about to have a barn burner of a match. And you and uh, Bobby are the tag champs. And the Steiners are about as over as over gets. And then let me just say, as we see Gary Michael Capetta, I miss that guy's voice in wrestling. I hope you guys bring him to an AEW show and give Justin Roberts the night off and just let him introduce some guys one last time. That'd be awesome. Or he could stand out there with Justin. Justin's a good announcer. I like Justin. Oh, no, no. I'm glad that Justin's the guy. And let me tell you, Gary Capetta was a class act. I believe it. Backstage, he was a class act. He was a 100% gentleman. I just think it's cool that Tony is embracing sort of the, the history of wrestling as much as he has and the idea that we might have a chance to hear uh, Gary Michael Capetta one last time is super fucking fun to me. I bet you, if you mention it, it'll happen. I'll send a text. We'll see what happens. Uh, but look at this duo. A couple of new tag team titles. Paul E. Dangerously in tow. Look how slim Paul E. is. Slim him. Look Smelt. at Slim and Tan you. Look at Bobby Eaton. I want you to know that during this period, Bobby Eaton was actually going to the gym and lifting weights and on a regular basis. Very proud of Bobby during this time. And, man, you talk about a quality man. I don't know that there's a better human being on the planet than that man right there, Bobby Eaton. How often do you uh, catch up with Bobby these days? Not enough, and I'm ashamed of that fact. Um I've seen him at a couple of, uh, like, WrestleCade and stuff like that where I got to spend a few minutes with him, and, but not as much as I should. I wish I wished I could, you know, for 12 years or something, we lived one street apart. In right, right. Best friends. Love Bobby Eaton. Is that the same house when he was one street over from you that I've been to? No. A different house? That was, I was there 12 years, and since then, I sold that house and built the one that you came to, and I've been there since 97, which it was on the edge of town, and as you know now, it's, it's sitting in the it. middle of a little city. Yeah, absolutely. So here you see they've made the decision that Heyman has been barred from ringside, and you guys are flipping out. Well, what kind of bullshit decision was that? I don't think some of our younger fans who maybe just saw, you know, the end of WCW or maybe they saw their work in the WWE or maybe the, uh, you know, TNA, whatever. How fucking over were the Steiner brothers in 1992? Look at them. Look at the crowd. The crowd is so into this, by the way. Listen, and, and it wasn't just beach muscles. I walked in the gym one day, and Rick Steiner was sitting there with 365 on the bench. So now I'm thinking, okay, you know, damn, he's going to bang out some reps with this bench pressing. No, no. He turned around, went up under it, and did behind-the-neck presses seated for about six or eight reps with 365. That's crazy. Anybody's ever been in a weight room that knows what I'm talking about right now, you'll go, holy shit. And if you'd have told me, I might not have believed it. I saw it. 365 is a lot of weight. Yeah, to be seated with the bar resting behind your head on your neck and then banging out 
six or eight or whatever it was reps. It's ridiculous. So we're smack dab here in the middle of the Dangerous Alliance. You see, Polly e is out. Medusa is in. She'll be cornering for him here. And one of the things that I want us to try to break down here, Arn, is the little details that we'll see from everybody in the match, but in particular, you and Bobby, because you guys are regarded as being two of the you know greatest tag team wrestlers ever. This wasn't a tag team that lasted forever, but the little nuanced stuff that you and Bobby do is what a lot of wrestlers study today. So we'll, we'll get a little master's class here, and I'll be quiet and let you Let's go. see if we can spot it. The mullet is the biggest thing that's jumping off the page to me right now from Scott Steiner. That thing should be in the Hall of Fame somewhere. Referee Randy Anderson. Friend of mine from Rome, Georgia, broke into business with, with me out in Louisiana as a driver for the Junkyard Dog which morphed into, oh, that hurt. That's oh. just, that was just mean. <laughs> In real life, who was uh, a bigger badass, Scott or Rick? Oh, I don't know, but if you ask Rick, he'll tell you him. Scott was his little brother. Now, I think, I think Scott has the reputation for being more volatile, but Rick from everybody I've talked to says he was the real badass of the group. Strong, silent killer. Scotty was probably a loud, boisterous killer. And what's crazy is, you know, Scott Steiner, you know, while certainly he was big Papa pump and the big booty daddy and, and all that great stuff, but there was a, a different stretch here where a lot of people thought he was one of the most over wrestlers in the world. And part of that was because of his his innovation, the Frankensteiner. I mean, it was the hottest move in wrestling. Well, I mean, look at the guy here. I mean, he's got a good body, but it's not big pop-a-pump body. Right, right. But it's a great body. And the guy, being an amateur wrestler, you know, he's not injured yet. He's not hurt yet. He's early during his career. He's fluid. He's athletic. I mean, he's, he does some Brian Pillman-esque right. Stuff at 255 pounds, you know, which is pretty amazing. As a rule of thumb, when a guy rolls out like that, and I think people in the business would, would call that taking a powder. When, when you do that, what's the rhyme or reason for the right time in a match to do that? To break the pacing that's going on right then. Uh, because if that continued on at the pace that it was, Steiner should have beat him. Right. You know, you, you got to have some start and stop and heels when things, you know, get out of hand. A heel will take the easy route out to the floor. And it just breaks the momentum. You got to reset the match. You kind of got to start over. And if you're at the first of a match where you're going to pull some time, you can't just go in wide open and go wide open for 20 minutes. It's not possible. So you call in Rick Steiner, Rick's all fired up, running circles, and here we go. You guys did not talk about this. This is all improv. All of it. Real simple. He starts doing the damn pit bull. You respond. I'm going to, I'm going to the house. I'm going over here and hide by Bobby till he calms down. 
What a great spot. Backing yourself up, crotching yourself. Yes. Is that your flare flop for the match? That was a, that was my humor spot without overdoing it. If you got it, you got it. If you didn't, you didn't. I enjoyed working with these guys. You know, they never hurt me one time. Boy, some of those enhancement talents have a different story. Yeah. Yep. Now, not to say they didn't bounce us around, obviously, but that's what they did. That's who they were. I love you retreating to the corner, selling the back, calling the timeout. By the way, an old white looking like a uh, a tan, dapper Mr. Wrestling. Who's that? <laughs> you. Me? You, you got did, the big you, white you, truck? You notice that white setting everything off. You do look extra tan right here. I am extra tan. Fat looks better brown, period. That's it. End of sentence. You know, this is getting about to the point where I've about had enough of this shit. <laughs> Just sitting here it's having It's been a all offense from Rick Steiner. You can't get a word in edgewise here. I was trying to talk Medusa in there to go in and stretch at him, but she just was not quite ready to pull the trigger yet. She wasn't afraid. She wasn't scared. I'm talking about one tough lady right there. Oh, yeah. I had her time too, man. One of the oldest rules that guys don't fully comply with these days and what we're doing, if you go back and look at it like this, everything we're doing is just to make them better wrestlers than us. Right. It's a real simple story we're telling here. They're just better than us. So when we do do something shitty, you know why. Because it's all we had left. I think there may be a little bit of razzle-dazzle coming here. Powering up. Test straight. Here comes Bobby Lou. There's that razzle-dazzle you were talking about. So that's probably one of the few spots you guys work out ahead of time. Yeah. What, how difficult is it to do the, I don't know what it's called, but what's that maneuver called when you hook the top rope and you know go up and over? Go out over the top. Basically There's, over the top rope, take a bump over the top rope. How many it's times not, do you do it's that? It's not easy. No, it looks very difficult. It looks like you would fuck your hip up or catch your head on the bottom rope. I mean, there's a lot of different ways it could go wrong. Well, what you got to make sure that you do is on your way down, you got to reach back and post off the apron to, so that you clear the apron. If you go over and land on your ass on the apron, that's a real easy way to knock your sack out. Oh, we don't want that. So you want to clear uh, and it's like tying your shoes. I I know how to tie my shoes, but I can't tell, can't you, tell you how, how to tie them. Yeah. Once you learn how to go over the top, you just you it just becomes natural. I love the psychology here. Let's throw him out. Let's bait Rick in. Now let's do a double team maneuver on the outside. Still building baby faces. How do you not love Bobby Eaton? I do. He just, it's one of those intangibles about Bobby. 
it's like you could watch him and appreciate him, but when you wrestled him specifically, he just always knew where to be, and he was always at the right spot. Don't ask me. It's just a natural thing that comes from reps and years and working with people carry, carry your jock. And it's like an instinct, right? That he, it's heard, instinctive. It I've heard the guys like, like Ricky Morton and Barry Windham and Bobby Eaton, guys would describe them as just – it was all instinct. And the first time they got in there, it was like they'd been there for a long time. Man, tilt the world slam on the ramp. A la Cactus Jack. What a crazy move that was. See, that's the stuff he would do one of those on big, big matches, on big shows. And you would, everybody in the back would just go, that damn Bobby Eaton is incredible. The boys at least respected him and appreciated him. I'm not sure if the audience fully well knew that you know, you look at that tilt the world. If you're an audience member, you're going, man, that ain't that Scott Steiner great? Bobby's the one that got it over. Bobby's the one who did all the work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I think that's true, and I think it's true too that you know what hurt Bobby is he wasn't a baby face, you know, for any considerable stretch. You know, in the most memorable parts of his career, he was a bad guy, and he wasn't a strong promo. In fact, most of the time, he didn't say anything at all. So it was hard to, if you're a fan at home really feel like you're relating with with him but now as a as a real fan of wrestling and sort of all the nuanced stuff you can go back and watch and you're like holy shit one of the all-time greats was under our nose the whole time and and you guys knew it but we fans maybe did not yep you just have to watch it from a different perspective and as you see there they're doing the uh a version of the uh road warrior finish with the doomsday device except off the second rope at this time Hawk and Animal are uh, in the WWF. Here we see. It's like we're setting up the big bulldog, but nope, he caught a knee instead. We should mention this got really, really great reviews. Three and a quarter stars. Um, Meltzer would say that finish wouldn't have been so bad if they hadn't done it on so many house shows over the past two months. So it's the dreaded dusty finish is what they're going to call this one. Uh, no, but four no. better tag team wrestlers. I don't think you could find than this pair. Well, we just spent, I don't know how many minutes trying to establish how good those guys are. Right. So now when you do finally get them down, it means something. You got somebody down. It's pretty damn good. So you accomplish something. You have to make your opponent. You have to. It is imperative because you can't get over by yourself in a match. It takes two. Talk to me about the context of building a tag team match like this for pay-per-view, especially in this era where you know, all right, we're going to get plenty of time. We're gonna, they're going to give us 20 minutes. Steiners are the baby faces. They're over like Rover. We get some heat on our manager. We're going to do the old switcheroo. Are there like different chapters or verses to building a match like this? Well, the when you've got a team that they absolutely believe in, they be in the audience, and they believe that any any moment during this match, the Steiners could win. If they won with the Frankensteiner, nobody would doubt it. If it was five minutes into the match, but what you end up having to do in a match like this, you've got heel champions, you've got the strongest babyface team possible that are challenging. And you have to set up all these different instances to where 
okay, that's it. Oh, that's not it. Okay, oh, that's it. At any point you're in jeopardy of losing the titles is what keeps it interesting because if this were not a title match, I don't think you would have quite as much interest because we're mismatched. Right. And to be honest with you, everybody was mismatched when you put them with the Steiners. Clothesline there from uh, Rick Steiner. Got you down on your back, and I think Rick's going to be looking to make a tag here. Almost over-rotated that one. That looked like that kind of got dangerous. Talk Actually, to me. very, Talk. very, very, very safe. Talk to me about uh, the way your old running mate Rick used to take those bumps where everybody else is trying to land on their back. He lands on his side. I probably goes back to the plane crash and breaking well, his back. That was the, his explanation. It looks weird. It looks more painful. How does he not walk around with jacked up hips now? I guess we don't know that he doesn't. He just doesn't talk about well, it. Well, yeah. I don't know that, that he isn't damaged because they always took that. Now, there was a little bit of storytelling, if you just saw that. I just ran Scott Steiner's head into my own partner's head, which could have killed them both, but you sacrifice your partner to get back control of the match. Yep. That's something only heels would do, and only heels that are trying to save the titles would do, because if there was a titles that, you know, at stake and you did that same thing, you might if I if I'm the guy that got my head knocked off and knocked off to the floor, I might be going, "Hey, hold it! That might be a little drastic." But you're trying to save the championships, and that's the story. Yeah, I think Jesse even referred to it as a maybe it was Jr. as an Anderson family tradition. Yep, that's where we got it from Gene and Oli sacrificing. Oli would sacrifice Gene. Maybe that's what we always. We always said that's why Gene had the twitch. <laughs> Oli used him for his a battering ram. Now, just, I mean. What the fuck? There's did we just see a top rope knee drop? Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah, and it was flawless. How? I mean, that should have been a finish. Hate to be that guy, but good Lord, what a move that was. Well, it, you know, and in a lot of cases it was when we had enhancement wins. Sure. I mean, I don't think I've ever even seen anybody besides Bobby do that. Too dangerous. You know, it's as dangerous for the guy giving it as the guy taking it because you got to land all your weight on that heavy knee, that, that outside knee. What made your DDT look special compared to everybody else's? I would step into it and try to snap it off and have them go straight down other than hooking it, waiting, and then going. Yeah. Try to make it all one motion. The snap is, is the difference for yeah, sure. I think so. And then you show an ass a little bit after, like, that's it. That was good stuff added to the realism. Well, yeah. Uh, heels always think that they're in control and that. That's so great. Just that pushing on the chest is absurd, isn't it? Just little things. You know, I don't know that anybody has used this term 
and I hope everybody gets what I mean because I don't mean it any other way. Bobby is just a sweet man. He's just a nice guy. Like, you feel bad, like, saying anything negative in his presence. He's just, or at least I do. It comes out of his pores. Just a nice guy. He can just walk in the room and you just can sense that he's a he's a gentleman. Animals love that guy. I've never seen him with a dog, but let me just tell you, they all love Bobby Eaton, you know. If dogs and kids and wrestlers love you, you're probably all right. You've got to be a sweetheart. Probably all right. And how about what we're setting up here? Going to set Scott Steiner on the ramp. You guys are going to set up your version of the rocket launcher. Now, that's you were more no waving. give. No give on the knees. Right on his knees. Good sell by Scotty. Now, at this point in the match, if you look at the crowd, they're not sure which way this is going to go. Right. They were pretty much into everything and booing everything and cheering everything. But right now, I can just tell by watching the crowd, there's a slim chance they think that the Steiners are in trouble. And with them, that's as good as it got. If you got the audience to believe, hey, wait a minute here, <laughs> they might lose because that was hard to do with those guys. Slide Scotty back in. We're and he's selling good for us, you know. So we've heard wrestlers talk about, and I, I don't think you'd have talked about it in great detail, but we get the question sometimes in our uh, Q&A episodes, what does cutting the ring off mean? Um, where you put yourself between the baby Scott face and his, and his partner. Yeah. You've always got your back to the partner so that you're facing the guy that's in trouble. And if you keep him on your half of the ring, he can't tag. What's the rule of thumb when the hot tag is made like that? Is there one? I mean, I know it's... Balls to the walls. But I'm saying with like punches, is it always threes? No, and it's not even always punches. It's, It's... Everybody's comeback is different. Oh, here we go. Here's a little razzmatazz. Oh, Bobby Steiner don't, Bobby don't look real comfortable right there. Bobby up top, cross body. But look at that. Somehow he ended Rick up makes on the top. Cover. Look at the crowd. Crowd bought it. Crowd thought that was it. And now they're going, what the hell did I just see? Bulldog off the top. Bobby's still in there, though. Going to break that three count up. Scott's coming to put an end to that. Looking for Medusa to give a little help here. Oh, powder. Right in the eyes of Rick Steiner. Oh, the baggie's in the ring, too. Got to get rid of that somehow. Oh, the ref got a big belly to belly. Is that Pee Wee Anderson? I was. And you get thrown over the top rope. Double underhook suplex coming up, looks like, for Bobby Eaton. So the top rope would have been the DQ, but we don't know that yet, correct? 
Yeah, we don't ex- know exactly what's going on at all. Our first referee, Randy Anderson, is out of here, but here's Mike Atkins. He's going to count the three. The crowd goes bananas. And it looks like we've just seen a title change. The belts are coming in. The Steiners have the belts. Oh, we got another ref to stooge this off. Had to be over the top was the disqualification. Well, I think the disqualification is probably suplexing the goddamn referee. (laughs) (laughs) I was baiting you and baiting you and baiting you, waiting for you to take the bait. Well, listen. If that's not a DQ, I don't know what is. Yeah, I mean, throwing them over the top rope is illegal, but suplexing the referee is pretty illegal, too. You know, and the other refs usually get their ass gets a little chap when you start chunking them around. They, they, (laughs) They show some unity on this deal. Jim Ross told me the other day, I can't believe this is real. Atkins was Jody Hamilton's son-in-law? Nick Patrick. Yes. Well, I knew Nick Patrick was, but he said that Mike Atkins was too. The son-in-law. Okay. He was married to Nick's sister. I got you. So, Jesus Christ, all these referees are somehow related to Jody. Yeah, the refs got a click. You didn't know that? I didn't know that. Yes. So, how how was Charles Robinson related to Jody Hamilton? They look nothing alike. Uh, I think Charles must have slipped in on under the wire during the middle of the night. Well, without any further ado, we're going to get to our main event, and we're going to watch it together, and then we'll wrap this one up. We're going to encourage you to flip it over right now to uh, Sting and Lex Luger. We're going to go to it on the WWE Network. Uh, right now we're at two twenty seven thirty five, so if you want to join us, it's two twenty seven thirty five, and we'll see Jim Ross and Jesse the Body Ventura. They're going to go ringside here for some some big introductions, especially for WCW at the time. And uh, Lex Luger, man, your world champion, is going to drop it to Sting here, in a really really big moment for WCW. It uh, looks like Luger is going to be wrapping things up, heading over to the World Wrestling Federation with a little stop off by the WBF. And once again, Sting, the franchise player for WCW. You know, this was a, this was a battle between the flagship and the body guy that you never thought would ever leave. Um, a lot of things went into Lex's decision i'm sure because he was making some strong coin with wcw must have got a guarantee more than what he was making to go to make the jump i would assume what a big entrance for sting especially in that era i mean look at that look the guy looks like a freaking star there's no other way to put it he's a superstar he's a superhero how much of Sting's success would you contribute to just the overall presentation, whether it's the face paint, the hair, the bright colors, the jacket. I mean, obviously he's got to put it all together in the ring with promos and charisma, but how much of 50%? There you go. I, Cause I'm, I'm curious, you know, we talked about a guy like Jushin Liger and then a guy like Sting. I think sometimes the look can open the door for you, but it's up to you to actually find your place once you're in. And so Lager got an opportunity, as did Sting. They both made the best of it, and it worked out. Van Hammer had that same opportunity because of the look, and, well, it didn't work out quite as well. Yeah, well, and Sting, you know, he invested a lot of that money that he made in his look. Every time you saw him, he had on something different. It all looked professional. His gear, he looked like, if you're a seven-year-old kid and you're sitting there, 
you see Sting come out, you go, you know, he is. He's a human scorpion. That's what he looks like. And he, you know, look at the body on this guy. We should mention WCW is about to implement steroid testing. We're very much in the era of steroid testing and wrestling. WWF is first to have to comply, of course, with their trouble with Sahorian. WCW trying to be a little preemptive, worrying they may get some of that stink on them. Um, Vince McMahon, meanwhile, is going to start a bodybuilding federation, the WBF, and that's going to be the way he brings Lex Luger into the fold. And then ultimately he becomes a full-time wrestler there as well. But, uh, what were you talking to Lex about in this era when you heard that one of the highest paid boys for a long time, the world champ, he's wrapping things up. He's on his way. Well, I, I have to be honest with you because Luger said this to me on more than one occasion during this period, he was working with a Steiner some, and they were bouncing him around. Mm-hmm. And that's the first time he had ever been bounced around like that. Cause he was the guy doing the bouncing. Yeah. And he, he came in, he went, all right, Jesus Christ, how do you stand it? They're killing me. And he wasn't making a joke. He was being very serious. He said, those guys are killing me out there. How do you do that every single night? You know, I just looked at him. I said, oh, shit, you get used to it. Well, he decided he didn't want to get used to it. And I think that might have been part of the reason to make the jump because he knew what Vince had in, in store for him. He knew he was going to go back to being a baby face. I don't think Lex really liked being a heel, and he didn't like being one that got bounced around by by the Steiners and the Road Warriors and those guys, I can assure well, you. Well, it's a different style up there. They weren't doing the physicality the way the Steiners are no, here. No, no, no. You know, we've talked about that going back to Barry Darso's conversation with me. They didn't take the bumps up there that, that we took down south. Nobody did. Of course, this is uh, two former, quote-unquote, best friends, and now they're across the ring from each other. Fans are intent here. It's weird to watch old wrestling, too, because there's no distractions. You know, there's a handful of signs, but it's before the sign era. But everybody doesn't have their, their cell phone out. They're not tweeting. They're not Snapchatting it. They're not Facebooking it. They're just taking it in, man. And you hear the see, see the guys jawjacking here. What's your problem, Luger? So they're trying to talk before they get going. This adds an air of realism to me. If these really are quote unquote best friends, that they're going to just uh, air their grievances. You do remember that they had a gym together. Yeah, main event, right? Main event fitness, yes, sir. So there were business partners, best friends. Um. Uh, and neither one were huge wrestling fans growing up. They just sort of fell into this as a lucrative profession and both did really, really well as a result. Absolutely. You know, and, and this talking for me, I'm like you is in, it's intriguing. What it's they- different. Yep. And I actually like it because it adds an air of realism. The other thing I guess these guys have in common is for better or worse, uh, newsletter guys like Dave Meltzer would say, Flair made them both, but they were both, you know, guys who had uh, blue chip prospects maybe, uh, but in the ring with Flair, they become main event guys. He certainly did his part. And when Lex was with us, you know, when he was a horseman, we made sure that he was the strong one in the match. We took all the bumps. We sacrificed, you know, a lot of our steam so that 
he could be the monster. Because, I mean, just look at him. If you if you failed to make that real, you're a fool. I would arguably say he looked as good as anybody in the business at this time. Yeah, I mean, I think him and Kerry Von Erich are probably the two best bodies in the game in this era. I would think so. Sid's probably on the list. He might not make your list for obvious reasons, but as far as the intimidation factor, that dude had fucking pumpkins on oh, his shoulders. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, I, and I wouldn't say that, that Lex, you know, the look was was not as intimidating and as like I said would be. It was a whole different look. Luger's, you know, he's tanned. He was, you know, it was more of a pleasant, pleasing, symmetrical. Sure. I mean, just looked, I mean, he just, you looked at him and you just went, God Almighty, what a body. Talk to me a little bit about steroids i've talked about it a lot with uh, with bruce and with eric and with jim you know and i know and i get hate tweets for this but i've always sort of viewed wrestling as a performance art and if me and you are in a, a real mixed martial arts match and we're really going to punch each other as hard as we can in the fucking head then yeah they ought to test us and make sure that you know everybody's got a, a sort of a square deal here and, and, a, and a level playing field but in performance art, I mean, you're not, you're not really trying to hurt each other. You're not trying to physically harm another person. Who gives a shit if you take steroids? And maybe I'm in the minority on that. But, I mean, obviously, uh, and we're not betraying any confidence. As Luca wrote about this in his book. He was taking steroids here. And you could obviously tell when he shows up for the WBF uh, or the, in the WWF later, he is a much leaner version of what we're seeing this Lex Luger. So it was chemically enhanced and i don't judge that negatively it was a personal decision and one he made for aesthetic reasons and did it further him along in the business sure but not to the physical detriment of anyone else so are you saying you are pro steroids in our industry i'm for person i'm pro personal choice and if if you decide that's something you want to do then i think it should be up to you i don't think I don't think any promoter is coming and I mean, I don't think Tony Khan is going to hold a meeting and say, guys, you got to get some, some Winnie. No, that's not that. Who's got the HGH today. That's not a thing. I'm not promoting that, but I am saying if a guy says, Hey man, this is the look I want to have. And, uh, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm not hurting anybody. I kind of don't give a shit. What do you think? I think it's a personal choice as well. It's, um, the thing is, you can look at a steroid body and they look completely different from a guy that he may take all the supplements, his diet may be immaculate, he may train every single day, but a steroid look is a completely different look. The definition is different, the quality of muscle is different, and you could pick a guy out of a crowd, I'm not going to say 10 times out of 10, but if you've got a bunch of good-looking athletes, 8 out of 10 times you could pick out the guy that's on the gas because it's just a different look, and it gives you an advantage, and it makes you look like one of those guys that is a superhero. If you would have taken the gas away from the Ultimate Warrior, hypothetically, yeah, what would he have been? And just went on talent alone and his ability to wrestle. I can't say for 100% sure because it never happened, but I would think he wouldn't have had nearly the career that he had. Luger, especially. When, I mean, you look at Lex, look at the body he had when he played football. There's nothing like he has here. You know, 
there are guys that throughout history have just they bet on the gas and it made them look completely different. Big Papa Pump had a whole separate career. And I would venture to say there were people that turned on the television. I had no idea. And went, that's who? That yeah. used to be who? Bullshit. Right. Because he looked. Different. He looked like he was heading to the Olympia. For well, well not just that, but he changed building. his hair and everything. I mean, he had facial hair. He had blonde hair. It wasn't a mullet. It was short. I mean, it was a total different presentation. And Yeah. Absolutely. But, you know, not just the, the big body guys were doing steroids. I mean, Flair's talked about doing steroids before. Sure. Chris Jericho even wrote in his book before his first meeting with Vince. He heard WWF was the land of the giants. He wanted to uh, look big, so he put lifts in his shoes, and he got on the gas. And guys wanted to do what they could to further their career, and it was a personal choice. And I know I'm going to get a lot of hate tweets about that, but, I mean, I, I'm just saying it's up to them what to do. And um well there's also the the added benefits of rehabbing injuries yeah well that's the real recovery. purpose behind steroids is recovery right that that's exactly right and it's you know i think they were originally for manufactured for for like burn victims and people that were in car wrecks and stuff and had to learn know, how to walk again and all that type of stuff had to rebuild their body that you know that that i think was probably the origins of of steroids and but it's not like you pop a needle in your ass and you look like lex luger tomorrow you still got to go sling some weight around you got to train even heavier and not heavier but even more intense you got to watch your diet but the fact is two guys can have the same diet the same supplements the same sleep yep. all those things that go to the gym and train together the guy on the gas is going to look completely different in a positive way, and that's that's just the way it is. And, and you know, you think Eddie Guerrero wasn't on the gas? Of course he was. You think Benoit wasn't on the of gas? Of course he was. Well, of course he was. Shit, Ray Mysterio came back one time and was on the gas. Now, Ray only weighed probably 160 pounds. But if but you think was, that's what the audience, whether it's the paying customer or the guy on the headset in the back... If you think that's what the audience wants, you're going to take a stab at it. You're a fool if you don't. Sure. And if they're not testing and it's not a part of against company policy and you're getting it from a doctor or whoever you're getting it from, you hadn't broke any laws, Who who's to say don't do it? Yeah, and that's the other thing. You know, you, you do want to have a prescription for it because if you're caught traveling with something you don't have a prescription for, not only do you jam yourself up, but... You put the company in a bad light too. So the guys have gotten themselves in trouble over that over the years. And some guys have managed to avoid it completely. And we know who those are. I just don't think it should be this black cloud in wrestling, I guess is my point. It, it certainly should not be a death sentence. No, especially when, you know, so many of our other professional athletes, you know, it was just commonplace. I was friends with a major league pitcher when the whole thing broke out about, you know, potential steroid scandal with, you know, McGuire and Sosa and all those guys. And he was a pitcher. So when I had a conversation with him, I was like, man, can you believe all this? He's like, well, yeah, they started gassing when we did. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, the pitchers got on the shit first. It's for recovery. We needed our arms to be better. And that blew my mind because I think the public conversation was, can you believe all these hitters, all these home run Kings were on the shit? And it's like, no, the pitchers were first. I mean, I wasn't there, but this guy played for the Patriots and Padres and a bunch of teams. And he's like, dude, we were on the shit long before they were. And that blew my mind, but it made total sense. It was about arm recovery. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. Of course you need a little help well and performance 
it, of course. You know, it takes whatever gift God gave you, and I think it amplifies it just automatically. Whatever it may be, whether it's not, like you said, it's major league pitchers, major league hitters, whatever the, if it's a basketball player, it may, you know, enhance his ability to jump, you know, who knows? Or recovery from an Achilles injury or whatever. Well, here you see these guys doing their best. We should tell you that Meltzer didn't hate the match, but he didn't love it. Uh, it's going to get a star and a half, 13 minutes and one second. Uh, Meltzer would say Luger was so huge. He looked like a member of a different species. If it hadn't already been confirmed already, this is officially confirming that Luger is going to join the WBF. They spent the first two minutes pretending they were doing a silent movie by standing there and doing nothing. And then they started working and the near 300 pound Luger blew up within two minutes. The match was kept simple and it did have interest, but was a long way from a classic title change match. You know, ultimately, uh, he would say. The finish came out of nowhere with Sting decking Harley Race and pinning Luger with a crossbody block. Luger and Sting shook hands and embraced after the match, but on television, they switched to a crowd shot so the folks at home didn't see it. So they're trying to make sure everybody knows, hey, Lex Luger's a heel, and we want him out of here. We don't want them thinking that he's a babyface. But he's not. That's the problem. That crowd, he's not in AV Heat coming into this match. No. And they're trying to do what they can to make sure that the crowd knows, you know, this is not your old baby face Lex Luger. Cause they had flip flopped him a few times here. I mean, even going back to when sting went down in 1990, uh, that same clash of the champions we were talking about earlier, where cactus Jack took the flat bump. That's where sting would jack his knee up just yep. three weeks shy of the title shot against uh flair. So they had to sub Lex Luger, but the only way to do that now that Flair is a bad guy because of that show is to turn Lex Luger, who is a newly heel now back to a face. And then of course he's back heel here having replaced, um, Ric Flair in that world title match with Barry Windham, at great American bash 91. They try the pairing with Harley race. And I think Harley's is really just here to let fans know, Hey, by the way, Luger's a bad guy. Boo him. What do you think Luger and, uh, what do you think of the Luger Harley race pairing? Didn't fit. I mean, I like Harley as sort of the elder statesman. He feels like he's sort of the, oh, big backdrop by Harley. It, it literally was because Harley is a textbook heel career heel. It was just to send a subliminal message that somehow Lex was part of that. And now he just won with a crossbody. He won with a crossbody, and Luger just hops right up. All right, I'm gonna just I'm just gonna give you some Monday morning quarterbacking, okay? Let's do it. This guy, Luger, is leaving the company. There, there's uh, Aaron Collin telling you not to give away all the secrets. There's Luger leaving the company. Yeah, he's. It's pretty clear he's leaving the company. Sting is your flagship guy. He's been there. <laughs> To the very, very end, he's been nothing but loyal. Don't you run a comeback and hit him with a splash and beat him with your finish? I, I would think you would hit him with a stinger splash and I then put him it. in the scorpion and tap out. Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly what you should have done. The guy's leaving the company. Boy, Aaron needs you. You're in trouble today. <laughs> he's ruining everything. There you go. Sting, your new world champion. You know, it was a great show, lots of great wrestling, uh, but the the finish felt a little, I don't know, anticlimactic. 
end it the way it should have been ended. Your flagship guy wins with his finish. That's it. Luger taps out. It doesn't hurt Lex. Lex is fixing to leave for three years. We Minimum. Should, we should mention after the car, there's a ballroom in the Mecca where they're going to do like a worked press conference with Sting. And it's going to be interrupted by Rick Rude and Paulie Dangerously. Rude's going to throw a drink in Sting's face, and then the entire Dangerous Alliance would attack Sting until Nikita Koloff makes the save, which makes him a babyface. Um, and one of Rude's uh, blows potato Sting's eye in that press conference. So he shows up to Chicago very swollen the next day. We should mention the matches that we skipped over. Uh, thank goodness. Uh, the Tom Zink, Van Hammer, Vinny Vegas, Ricky Morton match that we cut short. Got a negative uh, half star. Barry Windham and Dusty Rhodes teamed up to have, or Dustin Rhodes rather, teamed up to take on Larry Zabisco and uh, Steve Austin in 18 minutes and 21 seconds. Three and three quarter stars. We also had a pretty good match with Rick Rude and Ricky Steamboat uh, for 20 minutes. That gets two and three quarter stars. But there is a ninja doing run-ins there. That's a real sentence. Ninja run-ins. A lot of talent on this card. Pretty special moment for WCW to see, you know, Jesse the Body Ventura come over. An all-time classic with, um, you know, Pillman and Liger. And then Lex Luger's swan song, at least for a little while. Watching this one back for the first time in a long time. What would you think? Yeah, I thought there were some some high spots. The work rate, the guys busted their ass. I can assure you we didn't review it, but Wyndham and Dustin against uh, Austin and Larry, I'm sure they tore the joint down. That's a barn burner. You should go out of your way to see that. Oh, check this out. Wait a minute. Hang on now. They're saying the ninja's out here? No, I thought maybe we had a little ninja rundown. So there you go. Sting... Your world champ again staying on top in wcw in this era uh, just feels right lex luger his swan song um when you find out that he's going do you give him any words of advice you had been there not too far apart from this not really he didn't ask for any so i didn't offer any i figured he was going to figure it out on his own pretty quickly didn't take long it did not take long but we appreciate you guys uh, taking long to uh, catch up on some Super Brawl 2 with us. Uh, sorry we missed last week. Had to do a best of uh, travel for me. Just didn't work out. I guess eventually something had to give. Five podcasts in a week. What the fuck was I thinking, Arn? I keep telling you, you're going to go belly down, my man. You're the hardest working man in showbiz. Kudos to your resilience. Well, I appreciate the resilience of our listeners. We're going to be back at you with another great show next week. Every Tuesday, be sure to tell your friends and family about your new favorite wrestling podcast, Arn, right here on Westwood One. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together... It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.